things with presuppositional apologetics that I think a lot of people misunderstand is that um, whenever we talk about presuppositional as a framework that it incorporates other apologetic methodologies. Um, and so whenever you talk to talk about precept, um, it doesn't reject the use of evidence. Mm-hmm. It doesn't reject the use of the classical logical arguments. Presuppositional, um, it's kind of a perspective that incorporates those different methods in, or in, within the presuppositional view. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like an approach using those methods to defend the faith. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, I've never heard anyone uh, say that before. Yeah, so... Because it certainly sounds like kind of a rejection of evidentialism. Right, right, right. And I talking. think, and really the, the whole perspective comes from the point of view of recognizing from a biblical worldview that you can give somebody all the evidence in the world. And if the Spirit isn't at work in them... Yeah. Then the evidence isn't going to make a difference. Definitely. Um, and so that's kind of what where presuppositional starts is it starts out and it says, okay, what somebody doesn't need, they don't need evidence. Romans 1 tells us that all of creation testifies to the existence of God and they know who the true God is and they reject the existence of the, that God because of their deadness and sin. Yeah. Your whole life is evidence. Exactly. Basically. Exactly. Um, and so really what precept decide, uh, tries to do is it says, okay, they know God exists. How do we demonstrate to them that they know God exists? And so that's whenever you get to the, the by what standard argument of, okay, they know God exists. They're trying to make a logical argument right now. They can't even make a logical argument by rejecting God exists because, or by rejecting the existence of God. Because if they reject that God exists, then they have no standard by which to say that there is any such thing as logic. Does that make sense? Yeah. If everything yeah. happened by chance, then there's no reason to believe that there's any order to anything at all. Mm-hmm. Um, what if uh, What if they don't believe that it happened by chance? So, for example? Yeah, like what if someone kind of is a deist, like has kind of a general theistic framework but doesn't hold to like christianity yeah well and that's really where um i think the biggest difference is like the god of the bible um is really the only true god that gives us standards of morality um because one of the problems with deism is it's this idea that um god started everything into motion and he's just kind of back watching it all play out you don't get morality from a system like that um, and so deism can't really explain morality and a lot of deists are kind of relativists in that sense if that makes sense yeah for sure so where do you want to start it at uh, i think right there okay probably so there and go that about way. that okay yeah. right, sounds here we go. good here it comes so deep breath in and then exhale on the poke like right in the microphone why did i do that um yeah so i'm getting uh i'm getting dot dot dash dot 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 dash three dots uh for a couple reasons it's it's morse code for v and i guess um during world war ii there was a big push to like uh have this like all over you know like put this on things and it, it, it stood for victory and so it was like a way of rallying people toward victory and uh you know getting people's spirits up and um and you know i can take or leave that whole history but uh tiger army my favorite band of all time called their fifth album v dot 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 dash so uh it's it's got that cool historical link but it's also you know a good good album and it's a really easy stick and poke to do so it's perfect So just to clarify, <laughs> yeah, I'm doing this voluntarily. <laughs> Nick's not paying me anything. Mm-hmm. I'm not operating in an illegal tattoo shop out yeah. of my house, if you will. It's all above board. Yeah, yeah. 
He just said, hey, I'm wanting to get a stick and poke, and I've done stick and pokes on myself before. I have a couple of them. And uh, I still had my kit from whenever I gave myself stick and pokes, and so I was like, well, shoot. We'll just get you set up, man. I'm going to be honest. It doesn't feel great, but it uh, it's not the worst. Bearable. So, yeah. I feel like the hand might be one of the the worst places to get it, like one of the less yeah, pleasurable places. Um, so what are you, okay, so I'm just trying to think of like any time that I've been kind of tripped up mm-hmm. in precept and like when I didn't have an answer. And I'm not really sure like how I would talk to a Muslim about yeah. about like within my framework like well they presuppose that there's an all-powerful god who right. creates moral laws and created the universe and set everything into motion and logic is based in him and and stuff so um is there a way in which there's some common ground there uh, and it might be easier to talk to them or yeah, do you find that it's th- kind of hard to transfer that over i think that's actually one of the um reasons why james white does so many debates with muslims because that i mean presuppositionalism is his baby kind of and Mm -hmm. uh um and so he recognizes like what you just said the fact that there is some common ground there um and so that's really where from james white's perspective um going at uh, debating Muslims by use of evidential apologetics. <laughs> yeah, every so often you hit one that's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's uh, it's getting worse the further down the finger you get. Oh, yeah. I'm going to grab my water. Okay. Your hands sweating yet? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure my face is all red. Yeah. I'm trying to combat that a little. Um, but, uh, yeah, and so that's really where... Um, and I think one of the things, so it probably will help to actually define what a presupposition is. So a presupposition is really a preconceived notion about the nature of reality, about the nature of how we know what we know. And, um, I guess, I guess that's kind of a good way to explain it. Supposing something before you start to reason and logic. Exactly. And so, for instance, um, one of the presuppositions of Of Islam is that the writer of the Quran had the proper understanding of the Bible whenever he wrote the Quran. Um, and so that's really one of the things that, that, um, James White goes after in his debates is that presupposition that, um, the writer of the Quran understood Jewish and Christian beliefs, which whenever you hold the teachings of the Quran next to the teachings of the Bible, it becomes pretty clear that he didn't really have very, very good of an understanding. Mm. Um, And I wish I could contribute a little more to that part of the conversation, but I really Really haven't studied Islam all that much. And so, yeah, I haven't either. um, But anyways, I know that's one of the things that he really hammers on a lot whenever it comes to um, his interactions with Muslims and one of the reasons why he debates um, uh, Muslims a lot is because of that fact that um, if you compare the two texts, you can't really get the same beliefs out of the two. Um, it, there's a lot of contradictions between the two of them. Um, yeah, and so. it and it claims that the the entire Bible is true. So when you have those uh, conflicts. Or those contradictions, um, right? You know, uh, if if Islam is correct about that one thing, then it's actually wrong about everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> everything else, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. So, and that's actually whenever. Um, so, I just took an apologetics class. I guess that was this semester, right before. So I just finished missiology. Um, and I took an apologetics class in the first half of the semester. Um, and one of the things that we talked about in that apologetics class, we went through the different apologetic methodologies uh, briefly. Um, most of the class was evidential apologetics. Um, but one of the things that we did talk about whenever it comes to um, apologetics is 
and I, this is kind of the way that I, I always explain, um, or at least from now on will explain precept versus other forms of apologetics. Um, evidentialism is beneficial for the believer because it demonstrates to the believer that our faith is reasonable. And it, it's, it's an encouragement to the believer because it says what you believe is true. Here's the evidence for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I still subscribe to the Answers in Genesis oh, yeah, magazine, absolutely. Um, the, the monthly thing they put out. And like, I'm not even like uh, 100% convinced young earther, but I still like that stuff. Right, you know? right. Um, but yeah, and so whenever it comes to your the different apologetic methodology, methodologies, I would argue that... Um, evidentialism is for the believer and precept is for the unbeliever is kind of the way that I would put it. So, so, um, do you know about like the transcendental argument? Oh man, you're going to have to remind me. Um, Um, it's basically that like, we might uh, as well just Google it, right? So you said you want the dash even? Uh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Right on the knuckle. A transcendental argument is a deductive philosophical argument which takes a manifest feature of experience as granted and articulates what must be the case so that such experiences are possible. It basically, um, I guess, means that like we are all, we are all obviously living in God's reality, and so I'm going to, uh, you know, make an argument for, for. Um, you know, I, I'm going to make an argument within the framework of God's universe. Okay. I'm not going to come out, you know, from my own reason yeah, and logic sure. and try to explain the universe without first explaining how it's all possible. Right. And like the framework that we're in, you know. Okay. That makes sense. So you're starting from the biblical worldview and the biblical perspective rather than yeah. trying to reason back to. I got you. So, did you grow up here? T- took your breath away for a second there, huh? <laughs> it's getting a little worse yeah. further down the knuckle, the, the but it's knuckle, almost done. I can imagine the knuckle's pretty rough. Um, so, I grew up about 12 minutes north of here mm. um, in Moore. Okay. And uh, went to high school at Moore High School. Go Lions. <laughs> um, graduated in 2015. Um, and that same year, uh, well, I guess technically it would have been 2014, fall of 2014, um, is actually whenever I became a believer. Um, so I grew up going to church at First Baptist Moore. It's a big one uh, by the highway on 27th street. Mm -hmm. You've probably driven past it before if you've ever driven through Moore, but, Mm -hmm. um, I went to church there and, um, Grew up being taught the truth, but never having an understanding of it myself, um, and really thought that, uh, I guess, had a misconception of what Christianity actually was all about. Um, I had the stereotypical view of Christianity, kind of like a moralistic, therapeutic deism perspective of like, well, you're just be a nice person and be nice to people. And it's really nice to be nice and it makes you feel good and everything's good. And, um, and then, you know, God is kind of like a, a genie in the bottle where if you ever need something, he helps you, be then nice. he helps you be nice <laughs> and you can just, re- you know, pray to him and he'll help you out of tough situations. And, um, and so that's really kind of what my perspective was in a way, um, on Christianity. Um, and of course, like I didn't necessarily articulate it that way until I got older and had the words to articulate it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I just really didn't have any idea what the gospel actually meant. Um, you know, I heard all the time in church that Christ died for our sins and saved us from our sins, but I didn't actually have an understanding of what it meant to be saved from your sins. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I mean, that's not on the church or anything. That was just the, the Lord hadn't revealed that to me yet, you know? And so, 
um, it went until my senior year of high school that he's the spirit really started working in me and started um, revealing to me that I've been putting my faith and trust in so many different things, trying to uh, find worth and find value, I guess. Um, and that the reason why I was there's doing a cat that, eating my laptop off screen. That for anyone wondering what I'm doing, why right why, now. why there's an earthquake going on? <laughs> um, but. Uh, <laughs> What, yeah. what eventually brought you around? To yeah, that? so um, my senior year of high school, uh, which again, fall of 2014, um, the Lord began to work in me and reveal to me that I was putting my faith and trust in so many different things, um, trying to uh, stifle the conviction that I was feeling. Um, as I guess the biblical phrase would be, my conscience was crying out. Um, against me, and I knew that I was guilty, but I didn't want to change anything about the way that I was living. Um, so, so did you realize the contradiction in your worldview, or did it was just sort of a subconscious? Feeling? Yeah, um, I, I guess it was kind of like, I mean, since I'd grown up in church, I knew that that there was a contradiction, um, but I, I think it was partly subconscious and partly conscious. Like it would come to the surface and I'd be like, no, no, I'm going to ignore that, you know, that, that, uh, guilty feeling and stuff. And, um, and it it was kind of a issue of, I knew I felt guilty. Um, but because I had a works-based view of Christianity, you couldn't understand why I I couldn't understand why. And I didn't know what to do about it, Mm. you know, because it was like, okay, like I feel guilty. I feel like crap, but I've tried to be a good person and I can't, and I don't want to do that anymore. Like I don't want to be constantly like grasping for straws. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, I had kind of given up and I still went to church and I was, I mean, I was never like a quote unquote bad kid, you know, (laughs) no one is good. No, not one. But, uh, (laughs) um, I mean, I never like disrespected teachers or disrespected my parents or anything. Well, there were some times I definitely disrespected my parents, of course. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was just like, um, I just didn't want to believe the truth. Um, or you were incapable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is wild because everything was right yeah. in a way. Like you grew up in the church, mm-hmm. you were uh, supposedly taught these things accurately. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure if I ever was taught accurately. Right. So it, it's, I think back and I think, man, is it possible I didn't hear the gospel for seven years in a, in a not that bad organization? Like Calvary Chapel's not the best, but they, right. they at least read their Bibles, you know? Um, but it's like, yeah, it's possible that I never heard the gospel at that particular church. Right. Um, but, you know, it, it, I, I think back and I think maybe I was just hearing it and not able to. Not comprehending. Com- yeah, yeah comp- I wasn't able to comprehend what I was hearing. Right. Because I sure. still, and I mean, their legalism had a lot to do with it because I still saw it as like, well, I got to get this right and this right before I can, you know, really be saved. Right. But, um, you know, if they did get anything right, I, I may have just not been hearing it. Right. And that's kind of the way that I uh, ended up feeling is it was like, I mean, I can even remember thinking like, I, I don't feel close to God at all. Um, and thinking, well, like if I, I just try and like worship harder. Um, yeah, put your heart into exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> like I just got to muster up that emotion and then maybe I'll feel like I'm close to God. Yeah. Um, and for me, the, the, the opus of that wrong. was always raising your hands during worship. Yeah. I've never oh, once, yeah. never once done it in my entire life. But my thought was always like, yeah, when things are really there, I'll that's st- what I'm, I'm going to do. Start yeah. Raising my hands. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, reckless abandon. Exactly. And so, uh, that's kind of, yeah. I mean, my, my senior year, the Lord really started to, to work in me and reveal to me that I had the wrong view of the gospel. Um, and it was actually through the reading of two different books, Ecclesiastes. Um, you don't hear Vanity that one of Vanities, a lot. <laughs> you don't hear you that know? one a lot. <laughs> um, through reading Ecclesiastes, 
that's how I, that's how the, the book that the Lord used to, to show me you're putting your trust in the wrong things. The things that you're putting your trust in are fleeting. You're going to die one day and you're not going to take any of that stuff with you. Um, and so he's fine <laughs> eating the, eating the tripod. He likes the tripod. Um, <laughs> I like how we both like turned and looked at the same time, but, um, and, uh, and so like suddenly realizing that of like, okay, none of this stuff that I'm putting my trust in has any eternal value to it, Yeah, has no merit before God. I'm still in the same standing that I was before. Um, and so, uh, the second book was first John. Um, and so reading through first John's breakdown of sin and talking about, you know, if you're walking in sin, there's no light in you. Um, and if you say that you're without sin, then you, you're lying and you're not telling the truth. The truth is not in you. Um, and so, like, recognizing that, uh, it was, like, a moment of, like, oh, shoot, like, I thought I had it all together, but I don't. Like, yeah. I have sin in me, um, and that sin condemns me. Um, but then the second part of the passage of if you will confess that sin and repent of it, then he's faithful to forgive you. Um, and so, really, where where First John says that, when we do sin, we have a propitiation. Um, and so then it was kind of like an aha moment of, so that's what the gospel is. Like It's not about me trying to do my best and trying to worship harder and trying to climb my way to God, but it's about God drawing close to me because I can't do it on my own, you know? So it was like the whole time I was saying, I don't know what to do. I can't do this on my own. And then all of a sudden it was like, God was like, exactly, you can't do this on your own. Yep. Um, <laughs> it's so funny that w we try so hard to figure it out and try to do the right things. And then like we do. Yeah. But the answer is that you don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're not achieving it yourself. Right. Yeah. A lot of people come away from First John with like a pretty works-based view. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, there, there's this incapability to like take an entire book of the Bible at face value and like deal with the tensions. Right. And I think I, you know, I can't even think of them off the top of my head, but I, I know there's verses in first John that are used to uh, justify some pretty works based right. uh, thoughts and, and actions. Like, and is it James that some of the reformers were not convinced was actually part of the canon because yeah. it appears very works based. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, James or uh, James, and then and then in First John, you know, um, I can't remember, you know, the specific verses, but there are a couple, and then and then there's the verse that says, "Well, if you say that you don't sin, then you're lying." Yeah, but I, I think it says something about once we're in Him, we don't sin anymore. So it's like, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> how, how is all this possible? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. So, uh, so that was like senior year of high school that yeah. you started. Yeah, so senior year of high school, um, and I, I graduated and um, started at East Central University that fall, um, or that, yeah, that fall. So I graduated in May of 2015 and uh, started at ECU in the fall of 2015 in August, I guess. Um, got into a really solid college group and um, – just kind of came to reformed theology in a really natural way. Um, our college pastor was reformed and that's actually whenever I met Mason was through that college group as well. Mason's a mutual friend of ours, <laughs> yeah. but, um, uh, our college pastor was reformed, but he actually wasn't the one that I first learned to reform theology mm -hmm. from. Um, so you didn't grow up in a reformed church. No, no, no. No, my my church my the church I grew up in was the very stereotypical Southern Baptist okay. free will. Um, senior year after I graduated during the summer, I actually started reading a lot of Frank Turek's books. So I was free will all the mm -hmm. way. You know, that's the arguments I used. Yeah. Um, and he's like an as, apologetics guy, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Cor 
correct. He wrote a book called uh, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Oh, yeah. Which is an excellent title. evidential apologetics work. Yeah. Um, but the thing that he gets wrong, again, between evidence and precept, well, one, he uses that philosophical framework of free will that's laid over the text of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, um, he he forgets the fact that evidence isn't what people need. Um, <laughs> this is the cat show. Nice. <laughs> hey, buddy. But, um, so that's kind of nice butthole right in the middle of the screen. <laughs> um, but, uh, so I really, I started studying, um, apologetics because of that. Um, and then once I got into college, I started listening to a lot of, uh, uh, over Christmas break, my freshman year, I worked for UPS. It's chewing on the mic stand. <laughs> but I worked for UPS over Christmas break of my uh, freshman year of college. Mm-hmm. And a good family friend of ours that I'd known for a really long time, I worked for him, or uh, worked with him rather as his driver helper. Um, and he's actually the one that introduced me to Reformed Theology and um that's whenever i started listening to a lot of james white's uh podcasts and stuff and so um it 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 kind of made my conversion experience make sense like it was like okay why was it that i never got it for all this time like i had all the the, you know the perfect all the ingredients were there Mm -hmm. but there was still no life yeah um and so after recognizing uh, the fact that the reason why is because the spirit wasn't working in me, it was like, oh, okay, like that, that explains it perfectly, you know? Yeah. Um, and so... It's, it's funny because Reformed theology feels like such an exclusive like club yeah. sometimes. And then sometimes just some guy you work with at UPS is right. into Reformed theology. Right, <laughs> like, right. Um, well, and he, like I said, he was a good family friend of ours, and yeah. so that's part of the reason why I went to work for UPS. Oh, yeah. Knew he was a Christian and everything, but I, I, I mean, I think I had heard the word Calvinism before, but didn't know yeah. anything about it, and, uh, and he was, like, started talking about, um, he started talking about man doesn't have free will, and he was like talking about evangelism because one of the things that he talked about with reformed theology is it frees you in evangelism because the burden is no longer on you to give an excellent evidential argument and give an excellent logical argument to convince the person to believe, Mm -hmm. but rather you just present the gospel. Um, And of course that logic and reasoning does come in because it is apologetics after all, but whenever it comes to evangelism, it takes the burden off of you. You're just presenting the message. You're just the yeah. messenger, and the Lord does the work. Yeah. Um, John John Piper also had a good uh, quote for once. Um, yeah. <laughs> where uh, he was saying, like, I'm not wasting my preaching by potentially preaching to, you know, unelect. Yeah. But I'm. It's how I know I'm not wasting right. my preaching because there might be elect. Right. And well, I, I and butchered it and I paraphrased yeah. it, but that's basically what. He no, was I mean I completely agree, and that's like one of the um, one of the strawmen I think that people have of Calvinism and Reformed theology. A lot of times they'll they will have this perspective of Reformed theology where you know, well, you don't believe in evangelism because you think that it's all up to the Holy Spirit, and if they're not elect, then there's no point in evangelizing to them anyways. Yeah, I've heard that one. What people are forgetting, though, is we don't know who the elect are. I'm not God. It's not up to me to decide who gets to hear the message. Not only that, but we're commanded to preach the gospel to everybody. Yeah, Um, Yeah, they think that like we believe that people will be saved without the gospel. Yeah, (laughs) and I, I mean, and there are some... Um, and that's really where the distinction between Calvinism and hyper-Calvinism comes in because there are some hyper-Calvinists and I've met some before that would go to the extent of saying you shouldn't even evangelize to your own children because you're interfering with the sovereignty of God. Hmm. So, yeah, and it, so it can go to, to that extreme. Yeah, it can go to that extreme, but really I think what, what it comes down to, anytime you have a, um, any type of errant view 
in your theological worldview, um, it comes down to not knowing what the scripture teaches Mm -hmm. and not having a consistent uh, systematic theology. You know, um, each part of scripture is to be interpreted by the whole. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you're only picking and choosing small parts out of context, then you're going to end up with a really screwed up view um, overall. So, yeah. And like even, even the understanding of free will within Calvinism is a little, um, a little bit dodgy uh, because, you know, I, I'm not even sure it'd be a hundred percent accurate to say man has no free will. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the idea in Calvinism and, and if not in Calvin, then definitely developed afterward uh, by others would, would be that our free will is affected. Yes. Um, yes. By sin. I have yeah. a really good analogy to give you on that. I'm Take me there. Some, I got some aqua to put on here. Okay. Cabinet. So we're done? Yes. How's it look? Looks good. Flip off the camera there. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I like it. Um, so one of the best analogies to explain uh, what Martin Luther calls the bondage of the will and what is it Jonathan Edwards, I believe, calls the freedom of the will. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the best analogies was from R.C. Sproul. He described it this way. Yeah, I mean, R.C. Sproul is the goat. Of, yeah. cor- of course, he's the goat, rather, <laughs> the goat. Um, R.C. Sproul is the goat. Of course, he has the best analogy. But the way that he describes it is there is a difference between free will, what the the Bible describes as free will, and human autonomy. Yeah. Um, a lot of times when people say free will, they are thinking in philosoph- philosophical terms, they're thinking of human autonomy. What human autonomy teaches is that man uh, is a uh, free moral agent, is usually the way it's described. Man's a free moral agent, and he is not influenced by any outside factors in his um, decisions. Yeah. What Reformed theology teaches as far as the bondage of the will is that man has free will, but man can only act in accordance with their will. Their nature. Their nature. Yeah. Um, and because of the fact that uh, our, our nature is in bondage to sin— um, Ephesians describes it as by nature, children of wrath, um, dead in your trespasses and sins. Because of that, whenever it comes to moral good and moral evil, we will only choose sin. We will choose our sin over righteousness every time. Um, now to clarify, that does not mean that we are as depraved as we could possibly be yeah. at all times. The utter depravity. Exactly. <laughs> so there's a difference between uh, being, you know, there's total depravity and then there's like ultimate depravity or utter depravity. Um, and, and again, the analogy that R.C. Sproul gives is that um, even Adolf Hitler probably loved his mother. Mm-hmm. Even Adolf Hitler, you know, that's the straw man, that's the... the I guess the hyperbolic example that people use all the time whenever it comes to conversations about good and evil. Even yeah. Adolf Hitler probably had people that he loved and cared about. Yeah, he loved um, his dog. Yeah, yeah. Um And and what Scripture <laughs> teaches us is that the only reason that um, there is any good in man is because of the common grace of God. Yeah. Um, upon upon mankind, um, and so back to. R.C. Sproul's analogy because I never actually gave you it whenever it comes to free will. <laughs> I was going to say if that, was the, I kinda, if that was the analogy that wasn't. Yeah. yeah an no. Okay. So <laughs> the analogy that he gave was um, we can make real, genuine decisions in our day to day life. I woke up this morning. I got dressed. I decided that I was going to wear this red Camp Wow shirt because I'm going out there later. Um, and I got in my car. I put on some ACDC and drove to breakfast uh, to meet my dad for breakfast. Those are all free decisions that I make. Um, I could could have gotten up this morning and decided to listen to Leonard Skinner instead. Or Why would you do that? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that would be a terrible decision. But, yeah. um, you know, uh, um, 
I could have listened to Led Zeppelin. I could yeah. have I could have decided to start the day by shaving my face. Um, I didn't, but I could have. Good. Those would all be free decisions that I would make. Yeah. Um, the difference is we would confuse those free decisions that we make in our day-to-day lives with the decision to trust in Christ, mm-hmm. um, the free decision to trust in Christ. Um, well, even... I mean, even all those decisions could be on the same plane. It's just that your decision of what music to listen to and what to wear is defined by the same nature as how you're going to respond to Jesus. Yeah. So, I mean, it is a completely different kind of decision. Yeah, two different categories. But they're all defined by your nature. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, And so I think that's really where the the distinction comes in is... um, like we can make genuine decisions, but apart from the work of God within us, we're not going to turn to him. Um, now to that note, there will be not a single person in heaven that doesn't want to be there. There won't be anyone in heaven that didn't genuinely decide to put their trust in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that that's whenever John three sixteen says, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It is true that anyone that believes in Christ will have everlasting life. The question is, who is that is going to believe? Mm-hmm. Um, and what we see in other scripture, remembering that scripture interprets scripture, what we see elsewhere is that it's it's the elect of Christ that will turn to him. His sheep hear his voice and will come. Um, in the same sense, there will not be a single person in hell that wants to be in heaven in the presence of God. There won't be a single person that goes to hell and can say, I wanted to believe in you and I wanted to put my faith in Christ, but you wouldn't let me because I wasn't one of the elect. Those that are in hell because of their will, because of the bondage of the will, they are there because they wanted their sin. They want their sin over, um, over God. Um, that's something I think that's a really interesting, like whenever you think about it that way, because um, a lot of times one of the problems that people have a lot of times with uh, the concept of hell is, well, why is it that temporary sin deserves eternal punishment? And I think that they're, the thing that they're assuming there is that somehow there's a transformation of the will after death, and there's not. Um, people that are in eternal condemnation they don't stop sinning after this life. They continue. That's why there's weeping and mourning and gnashing of teeth. The gnashing of teeth is people that are angry at God for judging them because of their sin. Hmm. And they're still continuing in their rebellion against him. So. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder. Um, hello. Indiana? Is <laughs> yes. His name? Indiana. You won't let me pick him up. <laughs> um, I, I wonder if... Um, standing before the judgment throne and like knowing everything you ever heard about Christianity was true and yeah that you are guilty um I wonder if that would have uh, an effect on yeah. someone's nature or someone's will um but it probably would lead to only more you know shaking of the fist at God yeah. once they were condemned right yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm still not like 100% sure if I uh if uh if I'm an annihilationist or not. I yeah. I was for uh, a while very quietly. Right. But um had a problem with the the fact that like there are annihilationists in church history but they're not very common right. and uh that would mean the Holy Spirit was misleading the interpretation yeah. of scripture for most <laughs> for a lot Christianity. of really wise men. Yeah. Yeah, but the the biggest problem that I have with the traditional view is like evil's never eradicated. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of a problem, you know, but, um, yeah, I, I think I, I know I have a friend who has done a lot of work with rethinking hell and, um, really takes the Bible seriously. And, and the, the main guy at rethinking hell, Chris date is like a reformed Baptist, like very serious about scripture kind yeah. of guy. So, you know, you go into those conversations, ex- uh, expecting to hear like, well, my God wouldn't, punish someone for all eternity and their view is like oh god absolutely has the right to punish someone for all eternity but i'm just seeing these verses you know add up to something a little different and um right 
it is an eternal punishment. It's just not an eternal punishing. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. I I think it'll go on for a very long time right. if it if it ever does right. end. It's yeah. it's gonna last so a I long time. So I think the time. question then would be, well, I guess why does heaven last for eternity but hell does not? You know. Yeah. I mean, well, I definitely think they don't there have is eternal a, there, life. Yeah, there is a difference yeah. there. Um. Yeah, I think but, it's a it, there's a presupposition that everyone is gonna live forever that yeah. like everyone's immortal, where it's like maybe you're only yeah. like eternally immortal when you believe when you're regenerated. Right. Like who knows? Yeah, I mean you got me convinced. I'm an annihilationist <laughs> now, guys. No. Easy. You hear that, Nick Quint? Piece I'm making cake. converts that all that over was the quick. place. Quick! <laughs> wow. Piece of cake. Yeah. No. It would yeah, be I so mean, ironic I, I, if I was convincing yeah. people of it when I'm <laughs> the one ha- I'm sure. having the crisis yeah. about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and that's one of the things, too, is I, I really haven't. Um, it's not really a concept that I've uh, considered much. Yeah. Um, the only thing that I will say is that there are a lot of really solid men that I know and trust and have listened to for a lot of years that have spoken out against annihilationism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one of the things that makes me hesitant to, yeah. you know, believe it is it's like, okay, well, I haven't studied it for myself, but, um, there does seem to be a lot of guys that have some issue with it. And so, yeah. And, and that bothers me too. And, and, um, there was a book that came out a few years ago that was like every chapter was a different author, um, covering a different thing about hell and they yeah. were all I, I can't remember what it was called but Al Moeller mm-hmm. did a chapter I can't remember if he was directly speaking on annihilationism or yeah or what it was but it was you know uh, a polemic against right. annihilationism in, in one form or another and uh, I went into it thinking like okay well Al Moeller is going to bring it home like he's going to answer all my questions yeah. and it was like that's the, same, that's the same yeah. crap I hear from everyone. It's not even true. And like right. um, Doctrine and Devotion did an episode recently and it was like, guys, literally nothing you yeah. just said was accurate well, to and, the view. Yeah, like, and that's that's one of the problems too is I think even, you know, even having an orthodox view of certain theological topics, we can have a tendency to straw man the opposite yeah. side. I think that's what it is. I think it just so, sounds so fruity. yeah. It's just like, oh, you don't think God should punish people? It's like, no, you're no, already not, making yeah. this. <laughs> like, right. So Putting I think, words I think, in my mouth I think I people say. don't even feel the need to look into it. Right. Um, and if they do, it might be someone who's not theologically sound. Yeah. And then they, you know. But it's, they I, end up I, with the straw man view of it. Yeah. Accurate. Yeah. And it's like, I, I really wish someone would go against John Stott and not like Rob Bell. Yeah. Yeah, and Rob Bell's a universalist, I think, but um, right. so that's not comparable at all. But it's like John Stott or um, you know, or Chris Date from Rethinking Hell, who like are actually like reformedish, like have a high view of scripture, right. like really are interpreting scripture well. It's just different than how you're doing it, and like, yeah, you know that that's I think the the magnitude of the people who hold both the views has is one of the reasons why. I've just been like, well, how am I going to yeah. make a judgment on like which right. of these giants of the faith are correct? Yeah, you know? yeah, um, exactly. And even exactly. Uh, the John Stott, there's a John Stott quote that I just found out is like, like ridiculously misquoted. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but um, it said it was, it's something like eternal judgment and like punishing in hell is like a, repulsive idea or something huh. and then chris date read the whole quote and, and it he, was like completely different it, it was something along the lines of like it's so it, it it like it we don't like it we don't like it okay <laughs> and the whole quote is like we don't like it it's got this you know it gives us a bad feeling kind of thing and i'm paraphrasing so ridiculously but nonetheless, whatever God says yeah, goes. And gotcha. that's the context of and the so quote. And so it's like, and it's oh, like, okay, that sounds a lot better. Yeah, and it's like, God, you just make John Stott sound like a fruit. It's yeah. like not even the point of what he was saying. He, the whole point of the quote was like, if eternal conscious torment is true, then God has every right to do that. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got you. So what do you think, like I've heard a lot about, you know, speaking on the, on the topic of hell. Yeah, why not? Um, <laughs> might as well. Yeah. Um, 
I've heard uh, there's like uh, some people make distinctions between like Sheol as a temporary mm-hmm. place of torment and then hell as the eternal lake of fire. So like yeah. it's kind of like the idea that uh, of like people die and they go to the temporary Sheol and they're there for a while and then after the judgment is whenever they actually go to yeah i'm i'm a little confused about like where dead people are right yeah. now like i'm not even a hundred percent sure that right. there's an intermediate state yeah which well, is another and mason, big like orthodox mason, problem <laughs> yeah mason actually um because me and him were talking about it because we were talking about um like there's there's only one judgment mm-hmm. yeah exactly there's just, there's just one judgment like it's not like people are constantly traveling through well yeah. and i guess you could get into eschatology and debate whether there actually is only one judgment seat or not because some people well, will draw a distinction between for the sane people here we know there's only yeah, one judgment yeah. <laughs> um but anyways and, but hebrew says as soon as you die you're judged yeah man is appointed once to die and then the judgment and so it's like okay what do you do with that um Mason holds to like a soul sleep type yeah. perspective of where it's like, yeah, it's just like you fall asleep and then you just wake um, up at the resurrection, and you wake up at the resurrection. And that's been um, my view for a long time, but I have the same struggles with it that I do with annihilationism. It's like, how oh, man, nobody yeah, really believes that, you know? Right. Um, and I think it may kind of be an issue of, the Bible's just kind of silent on the mm-hmm. topic, or at least it only speaks in whispers. Yeah. You know? Um, one of the things that uh, Todd Friel actually talks about, he was, he was talking about um, death and kind of what happens after death. And one of the things that he said is, I believe that the Lord has kept death as something that we won't know about until we are actually going that way. Um, because it's really the last thing that you have in life that you've never been through before. Yeah. You know, by the time you get to be in your eighties and your nineties, you've had kids, possibly you've been married, you've had jobs, you've had heartbreaks, you've probably had injuries, you know, you've been through all the ups and downs of life and you've been through a lot. Um, but death is the one thing that that you haven't been through yet. Um, and he talked about it like that sounds kind of uh, morbid for obvious reasons. And it sounds like it's kind of like, well, that's like pretty, uh, pretty dark mm-hmm. or whatever. But the way that he talked about it was like a <sighs> <laughs> he talked about it as Wild. like a um it's a comfort to know that your Lord has you. Mm-hmm. He's got you. You know, Jesus himself has been through death. He's been through it. He can sympathize with it. And whenever you approach your deathbed, the Lord is going to come alongside you and say, trust me, I've been through this before. I'm going to guide you through this. I'm going to walk with you through this and I'm going to carry you through to the other side. Um, so yeah. I don't know. I think that's a pretty interesting and different perspective on it. Yeah, you know? definitely. I've never heard that kind of perspective at all. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. I've I've heard lots of people, you know, talk about angels and stuff coming to get you. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, Which I mean, that could be the case too. You know, yeah, it's like I, I mean, don't. There's. They do a lot of stuff in the Bible. Yeah. So who knows? Yeah. Who and knows? Actually. Isn't there something about the angels gathering the elect in Mark? Something about that at the at the end. You could could be something. Could the be angels man. gathering the elect from the four corners, or yeah, something. I don't know. You have more of the Bible memorized than I do, so I don't have any I'm just gonna have to memorized. trust you on that one, man. Um, but it's no, it's a like huge uh, deficiency of mine is memorization of scripture. Yeah, yeah, I got you. I really, I mean, most of the the scripture memory I have is stuff that I've used a lot, you know, it's like, um, use it or lose it type. Yeah. It's like, if you have to reference a passage a lot because you're using it to, 
uphold your own theological views, then you'll yeah. tend to remember remember it more and yeah. stuff. But I heard John MacArthur talk about Bible study and Bible reading and stuff, and he talked about how he has his Bible memorized. And stuff. Yeah, he would quote a verse, and he would say. Uh, right page, right column, bottom third of the page. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. And he knew exactly where on the page. And I did a study of John a few years ago where I read John every day or yeah. portions of John. I think I did like seven chapters a day for three months. And, right. and so I had the whole thing. And and it was like any verse out of John, I could tell you where on the page that yeah. was. It's crazy yeah. how you start to memorize the, the page that you're reading. Exactly. On. Yeah. 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 And I, yeah, I mean, I have certain... Um, certain books uh smaller than john like that where um you know i can almost picture the passage in my head and yeah. stuff and so yeah. but um it's interesting how our brains work like that yeah do you do a bible plan i don't One, really like? know yeah, you just study um, stuff yeah and that's something that i could probably honestly get get a lot better about and um that we've really you know we've we've talked about in discipleship group before and stuff is just um yeah, I mean, trying to figure out a method to um, studying the word yeah. that doesn't make it into a chore, but still, like, disciplines you to do it, I guess, yeah. you know? Because um, I think it is something that, I mean, it's, it's like, that's where life is found is is in the studying of the word and stuff. And so I think people idolize Bible plans a lot. Like even, even people who just study like one book at a time and that's their Bible reading, like even they can kind of be disparaged as like, well, you got to read the whole Bible. And it's like, yes, kind of like, I don't know. (laughs) You know, I don't, I don't really see a problem with just reading, you know, studying one book at a time. Like yeah, people get so carried away with, with that stuff. But, and that, that's one of the things I'd actually wish is that there was, and honestly there probably is. And maybe somebody that listens to this will be like, Hey, tell them about this, you know? But, um, I wish that there was some kind of like guided Bible study plan that would take books of the Bible and give you a small, you know, it was like give you a, a, a half a chapter a day or like 10 verses a day um, and kind of almost does like a commentary type study mm-hmm. through those passages, you know. And because um, I think that's at least for me and I have a feeling for a lot of other people whenever it comes to Bible study is, you know, if you were to have some kind of guided study like that. Um, it would really teach you to recognize uh, certain things in different passages and stuff. You yeah. know, if you if you had somebody guiding you through that process, then it would really teach you to um, do it yourself. Because I think that's something that I don't, I mean, I don't really ever know. And this is something that I know that Cole's working on. Um, Cole's our pastor. Yeah, sorry. Cole is and our Patreon pastor. Patreon supporter. Yes. Um, if you want to sign up for the Patreon, you can go to www. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, but uh, that's something that I don't, at least growing up in church, I never really had anybody sit down with me and say, here's how to study a passage of scripture. I've just kind of had to figure it out on my own, mm. you know? Um and for a long time, my method of studying was just to read the passage over and over and over again. That's a great Or like way. if you if you go, yeah. and it, a lot of Bible studies, nominal Bible studies that you go to, a stereotypical Bible study, read the passage. Now, how does this make you feel? Exactly. <laughs> you know, what, what, do you, what is this saying to you? You know, and yeah. so, um, I don't know. I wish that there was something like that, though, because that would probably make yeah. it a lot easier to. Yeah, like I know John Piper has videos where he goes through and like marks up the scripture yeah, and like, shows you how about. he thinks about it. And um, yeah, I don't know. I think there's just so much diversity in the kinds of resources, right? Where it's like you've got Bible Project that gives you this, you know, five mile high view of the whole Bible and the whole book and stuff, and you've got you know. Um, super minute detailed commentaries yeah. that you know now, go is, is the bible project the one that does the animated videos yeah and stuff? yeah okay. really gotcha. cool not reformed yeah but the well, fact I'm, that i'm still so into them should tell everyone yeah. how cool it really is right well i think they kind of um uh, 
former pastor of mine was talking about, they kind of have some interesting views as far as like their view of uh, propitiation. Oh, it's really? like penal substitutionary atonement. That's not their view. Um, I, I don't think so. It was either yeah. that or it was like something to do with like the idea of the blood sacrifice. Portland. You know, so I don't know. I don't know. But um, I, I will say something. If I keep names out of it, it should be okay. Yeah. But, but I used to work at an organization. Right. And when I introduced all the Bible project, um, the manager type person there really wanted to partner with them Mm -hmm. so he had a phone conversation with like seemed like the assistant of the guy who talks in the videos and it was very unhelpful and he walked away from the conversation like i have no idea what they believe and it was just like very like well, do you guys believe in like the inerrancy of scripture? And he was like, well, Tim doesn't really like that word because it's not in the Bible, uh, but yeah. we, we believe this, that, and the other. We just wouldn't really say inerrant. And right. like, so everything they talked about was like an answer like that. Yeah. And so he just got off the phone. He's like, yeah, I'm not calling right. them. <laughs> well, and- How long have you lived in this house? Uh, since December. I bought okay. it like the first week of December. So and then this is your house. It is. Anyone listening in California, uh, this guy owns a house alone. Yes, a three-bedroom house. Twenty-four years old. Twenty-four. And it is a three-bedroom, two-bathroom. Three-bedroom. It's like a little (laughs) over a thousand square foot. Yeah, it's awesome. You couldn't get a three-bedroom house in California for less than. I mean, I'm totally guessing. I would be surprised to see anything in California for less than five or six hundred grand. Like, wow. Yeah, I mean, even a condo, a condo, I'm sure would be five or six hundred grand. Um, yeah. I mean, in a couple of years, it'll be way less than that <laughs> because no one's going to live there anymore. Yeah. But um, I, I guess uh, 2020 was the first year that California had um, there it is more, what we more people leaving than than moving to California what else we got we talked about precept mm-hmm. talked about Calvinism and hell yeah all sorts of stuff just all over the place man. how long have we been going we've been going over an hour nice well I guess uh, I'll wrap up by saying I don't want to say too much yeah but I will say that you and I have some kind of a prospect for yes, a show that will indeed. almost certainly be starting in September. Yes. Uh, and might yes. involve this homeless guy named Mason yeah. that, we found. <laughs> that we found on the side of the road. Uh, Mason's going to be on the show very soon. Yeah. Uh, if everything goes accordingly to my plan, uh, it'll be the very next episode after Sam. So, yeah. That'd be great. What else you got? You Man, did a tattoo on me. Yep, I did yeah. indeed. How many tattoos have you done? Oh gosh, uh, I don't. Should I say that on the? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's I illegal. I think I've done. Um, don't talk all about of them all the drugs. Unpaid. I, I yeah, really. Um, <laughs> I I didn't get paid for any of them, but I think I've done at, at least twenty. Okay, wow. I think maybe over twenty. I'm not even a hundred percent sure it's illegal to get paid for them. Really? I think there are like certificates and licenses you need for like bloodborne pathogens and, and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I'm not really sure if you're not doing it professionally right. and you're just like getting paid by a friend. I, I yeah. don't know if there's. Well, and I think that because Oklahoma has some, because I looked into it a while back, It it's kind of like a, like a, a trade type thing where in order to be a licensed tattoo artist you have to go through an apprenticeship mm. under another tattoo artist and it has to be like certified by the biggest thing is the health department yeah that's really the biggest thing like if i was to try and like bring people into my house and like have like run a tattoo studio out of my house and I didn't have those licenses and certificates from the health department and stuff. I think that's where they would have an issue with it. Yeah. So um, I doubt that one or two stick and pokes is like worth their time and no. hundreds of thousands of dollars in resources <laughs> to come after little old me. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, all right. So if you want to get a tattoo by Sam, I guess you can. <laughs> yeah. Hit me up, man. Free no, tattoos for everybody. Just, no. Just 
um yeah well i think that's all i got so Appreciate thank you for yeah. being on the show for thank sure, you for man. the stick and poke yeah. i'll pay you off camera so okay. that nobody sees you yeah sounds good <laughs> i enjoyed it man it was a lot of fun yeah for real. yeah so. um, all right thanks for listening everybody <laughs>